Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the New Health Club podcast. The New Health Club podcast is where the conversation around the new age of mental wellness begins. I think that psychedelics will play a big part in this, since we are talking about a new lifestyle here. So what are LSD, magic mushrooms, psilocybin, MDMA or ketamine are exactly doing for our mental health and personal progress? On the New Health Club podcast, I talk to patients who have experienced a psychedelic treatment I talk to innovators, thought leaders, and disruptors from the emerging new world of psychedelics and mental wellness. Please enjoy the podcast. This podcast deals with drugs. Drugs are dangerous. Furthermore, the use and or trade of drugs can be punishable by law. Please keep this in mind. This podcast is not suitable for people under the age of 18. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the New Health Club podcast. Today I talk to Donnie Carey, the director of the new Netflix movie called Have a Good Trip, which you can see on Netflix now. Carey talked to Sting, Deepak Chopra, Rosie Paris, Ben Stiller, Anthony Bourdain, Carrie Fisher, and Sarah Silverman, yes, about their trips and how their lives and minds changed after this. Carrie is a real Hollywood writer. He was the head writer at Late Night with David Letterman. He wrote for The Simpsons, Parks and Recreations, and HBO Silicon Valley. And what I find interesting about Carrie's movie is how he uses a specific kind of humor, trained in his writing for The Simpsons and Letterman, to talk psychedelics. So how do you talk psychedelics with celebrities and make it entertaining without sounding like just talking about fancy trips they took? And will celebrities talking about psychedelics today change the public opinion about these new tools that are just being rediscovered right now? So if you want to know how Sting felt doing LSD and what Ben Stiller thinks about psilocybin, listen to our conversation, which was very entertaining and very funny and very David Letterman-ish. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the podcast. So how was your day so far? <laughs> you just got up, I so guess. Fun. So, so far, so good. I, um, yeah, I, we have kids and they're all, oh. we got to get them to, we got to get them to school, which is moving from one room to the other here. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, having quiet, quiet areas where we can all do our thing, you know? Okay. Perfect. Um, so yeah, so I'm very excited to have, do you pronounce it Donic Carey, right? Is that yeah, the, perfect? Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm very happy to have you on a podcast since you have just or you're gonna launch on monday which is um next week monday the movie called have a good trip so yes. uh which i have already seen of course um but uh so first of all 
what I thought is like, how did you get all these people together? And with all these people, I mean, Sting, Deepak Chopra, Rosie Paris, Ben Stiller to talk about psychedelics. Yeah. So, um, I think the equation I figured out for getting anything to happen in any context is you ask about a hundred people and then about 10 show up. Mm. So the, the first answer is we ask everybody we could think of anybody we had a connection to. And then we also hired a talent booker and just had them send out, um, requests to a lot of specific people, but also sort of general requests going, does anyone have a story they'd want to share? Does anybody, um, feel strongly about this space and want to talk about it. Um, so it was a real crapshoot, uh, if you will. And we, we, we and, and we're really surprised from day to day. You know, this, this was a long process, but mm -hmm. there were times where, where I'd get an, an email from the bookers that said like, you know, Ozzy Osbourne is available tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Sting is available <laughs> six months from now at 10 in New York City. And Carrie Fisher can see you on Easter morning or whatever. And you'd be like, what? Oh my God, this is crazy. Uh, so it was, it was, a, it was really just throwing it out there and then, and then um, being delightfully surprised at everyone who said yes and was willing to talk about it. So, and um, I mean, did you, did you remember like a couple of stories you heard about some people before? I mean, obviously let's say Carrie Fisher who was still alive then um, actually was kind of almost famous for a certain drug episodes kind of. So what, did you all also choose people where you were like, okay, I heard that story and this story about that person. And I always wanted to ask them. Um, yeah, there was definitely, there were definitely some targets that we wanted to hit, but we also really wanted to explore the diversity of this experience that, mm -hmm. it, that is, it's often not the people you expect. And it's a lot wider range than we've, Than we've talked about or been led to believe that like a lot of people have these experiences. A lot of people don't jump out of windows that, that there's a, that there's a destigmatization that we wanted to do by including people from all different corners of, of show business. But, um, there were definitely targets and people like Carrie Fisher were, were, were a dream or, or a member of the grateful dead. They yeah. felt like, Oh, we have to include somebody from there and just get their take on it because it's sort of expected or Timothy Leary's son, even like mm -hmm. just having, A little bit of that, but we also didn't want to do a historical piece that was all about, you know, the 60s or whatever. There's lots of documentaries that have covered that. So we thought it was a lot more interesting to touch on all of these things with certain people and then and then move forward. The movie did start with um, I, I heard a story. I, I was um, talking with Ben Stiller and Fisher Stevens together one day and and they each shared a psychedelic story. And then I shared some and we sort of ran, went around the table at this lunch. And I was like, these are so interesting and fun, and no one really ever shares these. There's this weird mm -hmm. stigma about talking about this, you know. Um, and Ben Ben Stiller's story was very cautionary and an endorsement of drugs, but also not not saying, you know, that these should not be done. Just saying you got to be careful, and they're not for me, you know. And Fisher's was uh, a huge embrace of it, and he learned mm -hmm. a lot of stuff. And I was like, oh, what an interesting variety of stories. Um, and you know, my background is a writer producer and, yeah. you know, shows like the Simpsons and parks and recreation. And, um, and so you're always looking for good stories and stories that exist in these areas that might be a little uncomfortable or untold. And I was like, Oh, we got to see if there's more of these. Let, you know, let's start with you guys and, and poke around. But I mean, obviously the movie comes at a moment. I mean, you have one doctor that talks about it in, in, in the movie 
it comes in at a moment or on the Netflix program uh, where there's a huge revolution happening in terms of psychedelics or like a renaissance, you would say at the moment, you could call it. Yes. So, I mean, is that something that you, because I mean, obviously you, you could see there were a couple of people that you met a few years ago, like Anthony Bourdain and, and uh, Carrie Fisher. But I mean, the whole psychedelic renaissance, was it something that triggered you to, to go for it even more? Or how did you, did you engage with these kind of new developments that are happening right now? Yeah, it was really interesting. This took a long time to make, partly because of celebrity schedules, partly because of the way documentaries are made with financing, and, and partly because everyone working on it, it was kind of like a hobby rather than a full-time job. So crazily, this took 11 years to make. And if you think about the last 11 years mm -hmm. um, in, in the psychedelic space and the conversation that has happened and how far that has come and changed and morphed over that time. So we were making it in this wonderful moment where – These were starting to be normalized a little bit and talked about for therapeutic reasons and more studies coming out and and more mainstream conversations happening, you know. Um, so it was really interesting because I think we, we were doing this initially thinking, wow, we're doing something no one's talking about. And then as we were editing, going like, oh, here's a, here's a legalization campaign in Denver, Colorado. What an interesting thing. Like, um, so, so we, we definitely – in a weird way, I think we're lucky that, that I think more people will be open to this and not just looking at it for a comedy, but going, you know, like what's here, what did people really learn? What, you know, like having, having people you recognize who have done lots of stuff, hopefully some of the people in this you'll relate to, everyone's got somebody they might like or like their comedy or music and go like, Oh, they're not insane. They, they actually learned this or, or, you know, like that there's, that, that this is a way to, um, to talk about it in a very normal setting of just like, here's a bunch of famous friends sitting around sharing experiences and then going on with their life and sharing what they learned. Yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if I totally answered your question. Uh, you know, it's wonderful to be at this moment where a movie like this can be funny, can appeal to, a, I think a wider base than academics who are mm -hmm. just exploring the space and, and also not just psychonauts who already kind of get this space but to a wide variety of people who might come to this movie for a celebrity they like, comedy that they like, and then get some bigger ideas and, and start to be brought into the conversation in a, in a sane way. I mean, like you just said, you come from a background, I mean, not only Parks and Recreation and Simpsons, you also wrote for Dave Letterman. So, um, or you were the head writer, actually, right? I mean, I read today. Um, yes. So, I mean, what I always think think of is... Because, I mean, obviously you have, let's say, the focus now is on the scientific communication about this. There are many startups coming. But, I mean, still there must be other avenues to tell kind of, let's say, psychedelic stories without just telling the old 60s story, like you said. Um, oh, it was so crazy and we did like the crazy things thing, which most people cannot really relate to. So, I mean, yeah. and obviously in your movie, it's a really big part of this is like telling stories with with the tool let's say of humor which you're very good at because you write for all these shows so what was your experience with kind of addressing or approaching most stories with a certain humorism without being like whoa this is like such a crazy dude doing lsd so i thought that was very interesting how you solved that problem a little bit yeah i think that um 
humans in general are more likely to listen if they're laughing or smiling. You know, that's like mm-hmm. a, it's like a, it brings your guard down a little bit to something you might be uncomfortable with or a tough area. Um, I think at Letterman we did a lot of politics. At The Simpsons, I really got this sense that like. We could do an episode about, you know, gun control or about, you know, religion or something. And because it was a cartoon and because it was funny, you could do stuff that you couldn't really do on other shows that Mm -hmm. was kind of amazing to me. So I've always loved that recipe of like, let's let's still have it be about something. It doesn't just have to be funny. But if there's some humor in it, you're going to reach a much larger you're going to get a lot more people to listen and reach more people Um, and, and think about it. And. I, I love personally when I'm watching something that I don't even really realize that I'm thinking about bigger things. And then at the end, I'm like, oh, my God, I just I just realized five things uh, that, that there's sort of this, you know, I'm enjoying the ride, et cetera. So I wanted to I wanted to make something that was really putting putting leading with that. Let's make a fun ride. Let's make some people laugh. Let's come with some big stories that are fun. But let's not ignore all the powerful stuff that's and potential that that's here, you know? Um, and I, I think the one thing that we, we hit on was the, the conversation, you know, like there's been documentaries and stories about the seventies and the Mary Pranksters and Timothy Leary and mm-hmm. the grateful daddies. So like, we were like, Oh, we don't have to tell a definitive history. You know, we, we, at, at one point we're making, we made a beautiful animation about bicycle day and Albert Hoffman discovering LSD and then looked online and there were 10 other animations about that. And we're like, Okay, we don't we don't really need to cover this, you know. Like yeah. people people know that. So we kinda leaned into what our strength was, which was real people telling real stories and real experiences. Some good, some bad, some cautionary, some life transforming, you know, that there's this huge range of real stuff. And what it really made me think about was the atmosphere I grew up in when when this in the eighties and nineties in America there was a real like Society was scared of any drugs, and there was this whole idea of a war on drugs and just say no, and we don't talk about it. We put those people in jail, and they're bad, and you'll go crazy, and you'll jump out windows. And it was like any any cynical teenager is not going to just go, oh, okay, uh, that sounds right, <laughs> especially when you go to concerts and you – you know, I would go to punk rock shows and Grateful Dead shows, and there would be psychedelics as part of the scene in some way, and I was like – well, not everybody's jumping out a window. This is something off here. Um, so we really thought what was interesting was going was was highlighting how the conversation has been been had over the last 30, 40, 50 years since the early 70s in this kind of hysterical way, in this atmosphere of, of um, over over caution and 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 sort of and lies, you know, like that this is not. That is not the reality of what these drugs can do and will mm. do necessarily. The, 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 so we made that after school special to kind of highlight right, this yeah. is the, the atmosphere I learned about it in is if you touch, if you even touch a piece of LSD, you will jump out a window. Um, and then countering that with real storytellers, real people and their real stories. Well, I mean, um, at the moment, it's really probably the, the biggest redefinition of the use, let's say, of drugs, or you would say tools rather today, um, in the way that, like we said earlier, I mean, they're going to, at the moment, there's so many, even half of Silicon Valley seems to be built around this new idea, or like a lot of very, very successful startups and uh, founders. And I mean, also like every country seems to have, on, seems to be on the way to their first psilocybin study in their university. Right. 
So, I mean, how did you get in touch with, let's say, the the so-called, like Michael Pollan calls it, the third wave of, of psychedelics? Did you just happen like to read Michael Pollan like everybody else? <laughs> well, it's it's funny because a lot of this, you know, like like I was saying, this started 11 years ago. So a lot of the stuff we kind of hit mm -hmm. on early, like, and like when Michael Pollan's book came out, I was like, oh yeah, that's what we did, except we did it with celebrities mm -hmm. sharing the their takes on all of these things rather than Michael Pollan. I, you know, it's his book's wonderful. There's a lot of wonderful books. I, I, I always tell people like when they're like, Oh, so what drug should I do? I'm like, you should read a whole bunch of books. There's so many great people have dealt, d dug into this from the fifties up until now. Like do, mm -hmm. do you read it? That's only good for you. Um, and figure out what your brain does, et cetera, et cetera. But, but very early on about, I would say almost five or six years ago, we, we, reached out to UCLA and the testing they had been doing because we had read that in the 90s they had got the first FDA-approved test mm -hmm. testing using MDMA and um, maybe DMT. I forget what the first test was, but um, just for treating anxiety. And it was sort of like, oh, that's interesting. And I started to read a lot of scholarly, re scholarly reports, and it was kind of before that had become everywhere on the Internet. And I was like, this is amazing, you know, as we all are when you start to read those. Um, And then really getting into those with there was there was sort of twofold talking to Charles Grove, and we thought we were just going to use him for the history to, to cover some of the you know the quick stuff like that you kind of have to check the boxes in the sixties and seventies uh, just to get it out of the, the 50s and 60s, really. Um, but what he what he started to share with us was these tests in the nineties and two thousands and what he was working on presently, and we we're like whoa. And then looking into those and going oh right we're in the middle of a mental health crisis on so many levels, whether it's addic mm. addiction issues or depression or post-traumatic stress, dealing with trauma, end-of-life anxiety, um, just the idea that none of us, we're, we're separated into these divided boxes where we're supposed to hate each other and and realizing, you know, scientifically when you read these studies, but also the gut feeling you get with any hallucinogen is these, these ideas of interconnectedness, that we're, we're one with nature, that we're one with each other, we're made of the same stuff simple rules like you're supposed to love each other that you know seem almost trite but then when you real when you feel them in a profound way it makes <laughs> you're sort of like oh right we have to rebalance everything you know and and uh and and getting back to this conversation i think the important thing to me um with the time it took us over those 11 years not not so much that the conversation became a little more mainstream and i hope this movie even makes it more so but i have kids who are growing up and i started to kind of weigh like Well, what do I want them to, to know and learn and um, have at their disposal? And it, it, it's always like, well, you just want them to have the truth and as much information as they can and do the research and then figure out, you know, what they need in their life, you know. Um, so that was kind of the hope. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, um, Anthony Bourdain has a special, let's say, place in this whole movie because I feel in his case, it was suddenly so visible that even a person who was like had the dream life right i mean he had his show he was famous he had everything you could say like from the outside but still somebody like him would actually kill himself and i feel that was like a very big moment or kind of a where people suddenly start to realize well um mental health or depression and so on doesn't necessarily have anything to do with being famous or not being famous and being rich or not being rich. 
And I feel, I mean, it makes the movie, I mean, the movie is great, but I mean, I think him being in this thing makes it even more kind of emotional as, as I mean, I have to say for me, because I um, admired him a lot um, because it was such an important person that actually, yeah, like I said, he actually um, seems like almost like an iconic communicate this change that we experienced in the last two years. And especially obviously now this will be even more, even more important after this whole crisis. So, I mean, yeah. when you, when you met with him, how was that? I mean, I'm not going to well, say, did you realize anything, but it must have been a very profound experience with him. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of these interviews were, you know, wonderful, like sitting with your, some, someone you idolize in some way, or you're a fan of in some way. And, and it, it, it was sort of twofold. And I would say this with almost everyone is that not only were they inviting, almost always inviting us into their homes mm -hmm. um, and, and sharing an interview, which is always intimate in, a, in some way, but also this extra layer, which was, and now they're going to reveal what their brains do on this tool <laughs> that kind of rips away all the facade, you know, and it's yeah, like, wow, sure. real, really intimate interviews. Incredible. Um, so, but with Anthony, I mean, I've, I've been a fan for so long. He, you know, I think, um, part of, part of my first big, you know, uh, this combination of comedy and then Hunter Thompson mm -hmm. and Gonzo journalism and this idea that you can like just sort of crazily plow into the world and engage and then rip it apart and share what, you know, the reality of what you're finding from Hunter. I think sitting with him and him starting off with like, I started with Hunter Thompson. That's when I was like, Oh, well we're, you know, all of my guesses that we, we kind of start had the same path were, were, uh, are confirmed. And then he, you know, he shared, um, he shared, he's a wonderful storyteller and his whole life. I, I, I love food. I love eating. I love travel. I love, uh, you know, the, the music and communion, these things of like, just the, these things that break down walls between people, which, which I think was his life work was mm -hmm. you can go in there, you can eat with anyone, you can sing with anyone, you know, this like, um, changing your point of view is like the big secret. If we can empathize with each other, we're going to be okay. And that was his life's work. Um, so it was devastating um, when he committed suicide, you know, for a lot of reasons. Um, but it was also wonderful to be able to include him in this and share. He's such a great storyteller and he spoke so eloquently about this experience and, and the positives of it. Mm, yeah, well, I mean, it was very surprising, I would say, right? I mean, that he um, he killed himself. I mean, I think that was for most people who admired him, they just completely got shocked, actually, I think. I mean, at least I was. We did debate a, a lot. Like, do we keep him in the movie? And oh, okay. In the movie, you know, is that, is, is that, and we were, we were sort of like, you know, care, editing with them was like a way to hang out with them for this extended period and figuring out, like, here's some stuff that they shared that they wanted to share. Like, why wouldn't we share this? That would be crazy. These, these are mm. great, wonderful storytellers whose life's work was storytelling. So, and we have one, you know, so it felt like our duty almost to keep them in. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's great that, that he's in, especially in this, in this movie. So, but I mean, um, obviously, like if you read the reviews, uh, Sting is the person who's getting quoted <laughs> the most. So, I mean, of course he has, again, he has a very different way of telling his trip stories. And I mean, uh, do you think that people listening to somebody like Sting, like a very established 
really profound, um, famous person forever in the business. Do you think that, let's say, a mainstream would possibly look different um, on psychedelics and on the topic of psychedelics if they, if you could say, well, well, look, Deepak Chopra and Sting, they did it and they don't think it's like something totally crazy. Do you think that kind of helps to bring it into a bigger audience or to, to bring it into a so-called mainstream? I think I think so, and I think a lot of these things are like, you know, part of the reason this felt like a good idea, and and not just let's just include, you know, people who trip a lot, who are, you know, I, I don't mean to throw that away, but I mean like that we wanted to talk to this variety of people because each one of them taps a slightly different audience mm -hmm. and gives you a slightly different perspective on these drugs, and and you know shares their perspective on it. So someone like Sting, for example, like I think my father-in-law. You know, we'll, we'll go like, oh, Sting's cool. I love, yeah, you know, yeah. this one album, whatever he loves. And then he'll be like, huh, he makes some great points. I did not like this person, but I love this person. You know, that that there's some variety in there. And in a, in a, you know, this, this is something we're not good at as a society is talking about issues that have gray areas. If it's black and white, we can choose a side and that's all we do. But when there's a big complicated issue like psychedelics, which are kind of touch on almost everything your brain can do um, – And, and, and all the ills in our society, it's, it's big. So having lots of different speakers was important. Um, and Sting's a wonderful speaker. I mean, that was a, that was a highlight interview, too, of sitting with him. I, I, um, not only was he funny and has a sense of humor and, and, and seems to be very self-aware, but really was able to articulate some of these positive benefits and, and talk about psychedelics as a, as a medicine and as a tool rather than a drug. Um, mm. and, and how he's integrated and used in his life, but also in a very sane, rational way, again, of just like, you know, spelling out, this isn't for everyone. This is something you have to do work. It's not a party drug. It's, you know, like the, the, these just good points that get lost when we stigmatize stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, and so you, you saw Sting, I guess, then in England, or you just saw him at home, like you said. So, um, you just ask him, Hey Sting, what was your... <laughs> What was your weirdest trip? How did you start? Yeah, yeah, you go into these, you know, like every one of these. I'm sure you, you interview people. You no, know, no, like, sure, but not about that so far. <laughs> but, but you know, you some of the people you're like, oh, I'm terrified. Or like with Sting, like we, we flew a red eye into New York. It was in New York in, on um, Park Avenue apartment, mm -hmm. which was like beautiful apartment with Central Park on one side and a collection of beautiful Basquiat paintings on the other. And, And, and Sting, who's like, you know, he's got it figured out. He's, he's, he does more yoga than I can make myself do and, and looks great and is aging, uh, you know, beautifully, has, has a great collection of books, like all this stuff. And you want yeah. to, I'm tired. I just got off a plane. I'm trying to get a cup of coffee, but it's like gross. And, you know, and, and, and I have a list of questions, but I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to blow this. So, yeah, you almost go into every one of these a little terrified. Um, he immediately, I think he's very passionate about this subject. So he had some stuff he really wanted to share. Um, and then that really opened, you know, got us talking. And then that really opened the door for me to, um, kind of ask anything, you know, and there were a few areas I, I felt like, you know, like I tried to ask about psychedelics on the set of, you know, movies that he did that might've been psychedelic or whatever. And it was like, No, nah. he was like, no, nah, not really, nothing there. And I was like, okay, just move on. Um, but for, for the most part, you know, we, we um, I think 
I don't know. You know, I'm not an interviewer by nature, but I, I love to talk to people. So I think it's always like you just take and, and I worked on Letterman for a long time, so I got to watch Dave interview people. And it's like, yeah, if if, if you take people for who they are, and and you know, like everybody's got stories, everybody's interesting. Like it, and and uh, you know, there were very. I, I think we interviewed a hundred people, and there was probably only one that I was like, oh, I can't seem to get. This just isn't. We're not really getting a story, you know, or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, Sting was Sting was wonderful. He's a wonderful person to speak to. He's so smart. He's had so many wonderful experiences and access to amazing opportunities, and he and he happily, wonderfully shared them. You know, so that was honestly shared them. That was amazing. Well, one one uh, little article I read today about it was mentioning like the case, let's say, of Rosie Paris of losing her. Um, Catholic guilt, <laughs> right, right. Uh, which is, I mean, she explains it very well, that how she lost her Catholic guilt, um, taking LSD without kind of knowing it and just dancing the night away when she was still very young. So, I mean, I, I had a similar experience in my psilocybin um, journey because I had, I mean, I come from a very Catholic background and I had in my two psychedelic experiences so far, I was actually com- always immersed in a, in a Jewish community. I was never a Catholic in these moments of being high. Right. So I could very well relate to this. Yeah, it, it really depended on, you know, um, Rosie was interesting. Her story was actually much longer. She had a much longer night, but it was full <laughs> of nightmares, you know, and, and oh. her story is really like, oh, this is not the way people should do this, is be dosed unknowingly yeah. and then you know now I, I what made her she's a wonderful storyteller she's so funny and wonderful to hang out with and the story was really funny but also scary and also a real tale of like don't be a jerk and do this to people what what <laughs> but then the other side of it was she had wonderful experiences despite the worst situation and then had a life transforming experience now i talked to her a little bit about you know the Catholicism parts of it and stuff. And, you know, I, 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 it's interesting. I, I, um, a few other people talked about religion and seeing God or having a, a, you know, a moment of, of clarity about religion, but I'm, I'm, I'm so, um, I try not to get too much into religion because it's so divisive and so complicated. And it seemed like once we started to explore, make this a, Catholic exploration, then it was like almost excluding other things. I don't know. It got a little complicated. I, I agree with you. I think there's a whole movie about that because mm-hmm. what she hinted at is, is big. And, and um, it's funny. I always use this, this, this example when people are like, so do you, you think everyone should do these drugs? I'm like, no, no, no. I think this is what I, what I would say. Like when my kids ask me like, what religion should I pick? I go like, it's, it's kind of like what, What drugs should I take? You go like, well, wait, (laughs) religions are very powerful drugs. They do a lot of stuff. They can be really helpful, but they can also be really, you know, bad for you. Um, Sit down, do the research, figure out what what you need, what your brain needs, what kind of life you want to lead. What if you can't make moral decisions on your own? Is there a religion that helps with that? Or can you can you do some of that on your own and you don't need that uh, thing? to get all the information, um, you know, and then, and then decide what's best for you. Don't, don't blindly follow anything or by the way, blindly take handfuls of any drugs, you know? Um, 
anyway, that's sort of changing the subject a little bit, but um, I would love to see that movie of, mm. of 50, 50 Catholics exploring um, yeah. what Catholicism is on, or, or priests yeah. taking, taking MDMA and like talking about it. Uh, I oh, think, yeah. I think, I think it goes to the thing that is really powerful about this in the research and, you know, in a, in a quick way, I think where these drugs have been the most powerful is things like addiction, depression, um, anxiety, where, you're, where your brain has gotten into a box. And it's a little bit of a cliche to think, to say thinking out of the box, but where you're trapped and you feel stuck, these drugs often have transformative experiences where you jump out of that box and look back at it. So something like a following a religion since you were a little kid is a box you've gotten into also, you know, so, so it's a way to quickly transport out of that and examine the box a little bit from the outside and go like, Oh, do I belong in there? I don't know if I do. I think that's kind of what happened to Rosie. Well, I mean, uh, what you just kind of described is um, in the last couple of years, since this whole topic becomes like a possibility to do ayahuasca, to find out certain things or to do, to go on a, psilocybin retreat which you can do in a couple of places now on, on a legal psilocybin retreat i think it feels like most people um rather at the let's say starting at the end of their 30s are starting to do this because they have kind of unanswered life questions or they can't answer big life questions anymore with the usual tools like going to yoga and uh, meditate once in a while so right. do you feel that I mean, I'm not going to say it's like a generation that is strongly looking into this, but here actually it feels like a certain, from a certain age group, people are getting interested in this more and more. You know, I'm Gen Generation X and I, or Gen X, oh, sorry. Uh, and uh, I, I think about it a lot. I, I go like, what is our generation? And I, and I was, you know, like politically, I, I'm like, where are our leaders? Like, why haven't we ever gotten to, to, to kind of lead i just feel like yeah. we're still our, our, our at least america and in a lot of places we keep retreating to these sort of ideas from the 50s and 60s and just going or not 60s let's say 50s but a much more conservative thing and i'm like but what about rock and roll what about like <laughs> punk rock like we come on guys what are we doing um i do think yeah there, there's a big opening there I, it, it's it's um somewhat generational but i also think it 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 um coincides with the sort of evolution of the planet or lack thereof uh, of uh, the of humans in general and and we've put ourselves in 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 a place where there's a lot of existential crisis going on whether it's leadership or planetary or just the fact that we don't talk to each other anymore or you know how we how we how we deal with anything has become um almost out of control, you know? So anyway, people, people are looking for new, new tools because we, we're not getting it right. Clearly we're, we're, mm -hmm. we're kind of going down. I was actually thinking the other day that there's like so many good versions of, of songs named ship of fools. Like there's a great, great Dead song. There's a doors song. There's a, a world party song. And I was like, Oh, every generation comes up with it again. It's like, wait, we're just a ship of fools. We got to figure this out. And <laughs> we may be the first generation. That's not even, able to write that song. So we got to get on it. I don't know. But yes, I think the big thing is, is, is that we're in a real moment of existential crisis in so many ways. And so mm -hmm. these books help you remind, remind us of, of connecting and bringing down walls that are stopping us from being 
from evolving, you know? Mm. And, and how did you prevent that there was kind of a trip competition or like a trip envy between uh, the competitors? <laughs> Who, because, I mean, you hardly can beat Carrie Fisher's story that she fell asleep on, the, on stage um, during the concert right. of Grateful Dead. So it's hard, probably right. the thing that's un, untoppable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think in general people are like, You know, we, we, we certainly didn't sit everyone down together and go like, all right, you know, see if you can one-up each other or anything. You know, was, these were all done separately and people kind of were on their own. Um, so didn't have, have any awareness of the other stories. But um, um, I, I also think that there's, these are so personal so that, that they're not, you know, they, they're sort of, it's, it's like dreams. It's like, this is what my brain reveals and this is what I learned. Hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. This is. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a brain surgeon. You know, like this is just what happened. Uh, so there's a weirdly non-competitive thing. I mean, I think um, people also are not, um, you know, some are good storytellers, some are funny storytellers, some are like more serious. Like Charles Grove, I don't think feels, I think that was another bonus of having this wide range of people is like, I don't think Charles Grove felt like he had to be funnier than Ben Stiller. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, You know, Sarah Silverman felt like she had to be more scientific than Deepak Chopra. You know, it, they all, everybody brought their own, you know, sort of specialty to this. Yeah, no, I mean, Deepak Chopra, I have to say, I was really surprised that he was in it and talked about um, psychedelics. I, I, I had no idea, actually, that yeah. um, he was so interested in that. Um, and I mean, so now that we kind of basically kind of agree that it's from now on, we could actually say, psychedelics will be tools instead of drugs in, in the near future or already now, actually. So what do you think is the best way to, let's say, communicate psychedelics or to talk about psychedelics in a bigger, for a bigger audience? Let's say, I mean, I'm sure you're going to be on a couple of TV shows or CNN and whatnot. So, I mean, and of course, in media, there's always this question. So, wow, why should I take LSD? Um, explain to me what is so great about this. Why should I do this? Isn't that super dangerous? Right. So it's like the very basic approach that I'd say like a lot of classic media, wherever you are in the world will have. So what do you think is a, is a good way to communicate these new compounds from now on? I think, I think the more we can, remove it from a fear-based discussion. So the first, the way I would answer that is, is uh, you, maybe you shouldn't, you don't have to, it's not, it's not, yeah. you, this is not mandatory, you know, like no one's going to force you to do anything you don't want to do. Um, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be investigated for other people who it might have benefits for. And, you know, it's, it's that, it's a, it's a lot of our conversation. Like this doesn't affect you unless you want it to. And if you do want it to affect you, then, Do the research, do the work, know that this is a powerful tool, not a party drug, and and find support and, um, you know, hopefully licensed, FDA-approved possibly, or therapeutic. People who have explored this space and can give you a really walk you through what this might do, what it might, how it might help you. Get to know your own brain, figure out if it might be good for it or not, and and. And, and figure out what you're looking for. I think ask the questions that are good, whether you're going to do psychedelics or not, is like, what are you, what's, what are you looking for? What are your questions? Mm -hmm. What are you trying to figure out? 
Um, and then when you do the research and watch the movies and, and read the books, you start to figure out like, oh, these drugs might actually help me with that. Um, they, they have shown positive you know, effects in that area. But also the big, the big thing is they're not – they really aren't for everybody and they shouldn't be. It's, it's, it's like everything. Not everyone should ride motorcycles, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, of course there's this whole other, let's say dimension that's coming now that it's becoming really possibly a replacement for SSRIs or at least an addition to that. And I, th I think that's to me, that's probably the biggest difference um, that is happening right now. But of course there would be the question, have you done it <laughs> and when? <laughs> yeah, so I had I had uh, a, a number of experiences in okay. over the course of a lifetime, and mostly when I, I was younger, and mostly in a, in a um, you know, in I would say that the 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 um, I don't know. This is always this hard question because I'm, I'm I I really want to um, let this be up to people, and certainly for my kids, not go like yeah. oh yeah. You just do it all the time and whatever, you know, like there were, there was, I definitely was a, was a, uh, young adult who experimented with a lot of things. And that was, was, um, included psychedelics and travel and, you know, like different books and movies and experiences mm -hmm. and mountain climbing and all sorts of stuff. So yes, it's, it, it, um, I, I had great experiences. Uh, I think it, it opened certain doors and windows and, and, uh, access panels, et cetera, that were, that, that I had an inkling of, um, it was good. It was good to take a peek behind the curtain over the wall, whatever. Um, and just, just know, but also, you know, this, the, the, I, I would also be careful to just say like, you know, it's not a, it's not a miracle. It doesn't always work for everybody. And, and the, the idea that like, I think the microdosing thing is like, I'm a little cautious on that because mm -hmm. I, I, I think, um, You know, if you're Steve, Steve Jobs was someone who was inclined towards being able to think out of the box already. I think it, it's an accelerant for people. It's not necessarily a fix all or a, you know, a, a switch that just you can add to your, your um, game system, if you will. Uh, it, it's, it's something that um, I, I like. Somebody said, like, with therapy, like, it, it, I, maybe Charles Grove in our movie was talking about, like, you know, you could in some cases you can get six months of therapy in an afternoon, you know, it's a long yeah. trip for all the hours, but mm -hmm. you've done the work that it might have taken you six months to do. Um, so there's powerful applications when done in the right set and setting with the right, you know, uh, the right help and a guide and, a, and, and, and the right knowledge going in. Um, you know, I think, I think, Where, where I, you know, where I was, where I was presented with this stuff was at a time where it was kind of just, you know, all bets were off and, and bad things could have happened, you know, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad they didn't. Um, I'm glad that there were places like Grateful Dead shows that there was weirdly like a, a sort of organic communities that had sprung up that allowed for these experiences to happen in a, in a, um, sort of a natural way. But, but I also don't necessarily go like, Oh yeah, that's what should be happening now. I think, I think we've, we have evolved and this idea of therapeutic centers with trained professionals who, who get that this isn't a, you, you know, a, um, something that you would do in a hospital that would not be a great setting for this, you know, that, that mm. you want to, no. you want to be a picture that there's a lot of things to integrate into this experience 
to make it optimal. That's absolutely true. And the perfect, um, the perfect last words, <laughs> actually. Perfect. Uh, thank you so much. It was very interesting. Awesome. Well, thank you. So thanks for watching and thanks for, for including me in the podcast. It was great talking. Thank you. Thank you. I said, <laughs> Uh, I send you the link and, um, yeah, you can, I mean, it's just nice to have it. I mean, it's going to be an Apple podcast, Spotify, um, Deezer, all these kind of platforms. Definitely. Great. And yeah, we hope to, um, once we're released from our, our homes, uh, to get this yeah. out and go, go bring it, you know, bring it around the world and go theater to theater and have conversations and, you know, do this in a more communal way. So Uh, we'll keep in touch. Maybe we'll get there someday. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe you should come to Berlin here to do it here, to present it here, if you dare yeah, to amazing. go on the plane. <laughs> uh, I will someday, for sure. I can't come to America right now. It's impossible. I'm not allowed to. But Berlin, Berlin is one of the like perfect places. Like, yeah, totally. Stuff, you know, we we, we can totally host your um, your little, we can host a little party for you if you want to do it next year. Count, count us in. Okay, perfect. Have a good day in L.A. You're in L.A., right? right. Or New York? L.A. Yes. Uh, in L.A. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.